Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You're listening to the Wijha Initiative podcast. These podcast episodes are recordings of our past events that we hold in person on a weekly basis. We hope that by listening to the podcast, you'll be inspired to join us at an event. To keep up with our work, please follow us on Instagram. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa salatu wa salamu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Allahumma alimna ma yanfa'una wa anfa'na bima alamtana wa zidna ilman wa amalan ya Rabbil Alameen amma ba'd. So the name that we want to start with for today, um, just for some, for some special people that inshallah are listening, uh, we want to start with the name Al-Majid. And last week we spoke about Al-Hamid, which we translated as the praiseworthy. Allah Ta'ala being Al-Hamid, He's the one who is worthy of being praised. That demands action from us. If He's praiseworthy, then we need to praise Him. Alright? With Al-Majid, it's slightly different. Al-Majid is more to do with Allah's being. It doesn't exactly demand a specific action from us. It means Allah is glorious. He possesses glory. That name should invoke more a sense of awe, reverence. The Quran is described as Al-Quran al-Majid. Qaf wal-Quran al-Majid. Right? Dhul arsh al-Majid. There, al-Majid, in some qiraat is read with a kasra. Dhul arshil majidi. In the Hafs qira'ah, which is probably the more common one, we read it, Dhul arshil majidu. Al majidu becomes a description of Dhul arsh, the possessor of the arsh. Meaning Allah Ta'ala is al majid. But in some qira'at, they read it as Dhul arshil majidi. And so al majid becomes a description for the arsh. That the arsh of Allah Ta'ala is glorious. Um, and so we start to notice that this word is used for very specific types of things. The Qur'an. The Qur'an is described as Al-Majid. Uh, the Arsh is described as Al-Majid. These are great, great things. Things of glory. Things that are not trivial and, and your average everyday things. Because not, your, your everyday things are not glorious. Right? Allah is glorious and that the Arsh is considered to be the largest creation. And, and thus it possesses a certain glory. Right? The Qur'an is the greatest source of guidance. There's a certain glory that's then attached to it. You know that hadith we talked about last week? Where we used to be described how prayer is a conversation? You guys remember that hadith? Where when we say Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Allah speaks to us and says, Hamidani Abdi, my servant has praised me. When we keep going, and then we recite, Ar Rahman Ar Rahim, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the angels, Athna alayya Abdi, my servant has, in, in another way, praised me. Then you have Maliki Yawmiddin, and there Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Majjadani Abdi. He uses the same root letters. Mim, Jim, Dal. Majjadani Abdi. My servant has glorified me. Why? Like, why there have we glorified? 
In the previous two verses, we've kind of praised. Look at the nature of Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. The most merciful, the most compassionate. What is that? You build in your love for Allah, right? Oh, He's the most compassionate, the most merciful. And so your, your love for Allah increases. Suddenly you recite, He's the master of the day of judgment. That's not, that's not something that invokes love. It invokes a sense of fear, of reverence, of awe. That on that day when everybody will stand in a common field before Allah, and everybody will, will be fearful for their own selves. And all the kings will be equal to everybody else. There will be no special statuses there, except for those people who are prophets and who are with the prophets. They're going to have special pulpits for them. Or there will be special people in the, 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 the shade of the throne of Allah. Otherwise, everybody's going to be like sweating and, and stressed. Allah is the master of that day. So, Allah's glory. Now, what is, how does that relate to us? Okay, He's glorious. And then what? Someone so glorious, and yet He cares for His servants. He reveals a book to teach them guidance, the Qur'an. He's willing to forgive them. He gives them that. And, this, and some of the scholars, they mention, like Dr. Fadl Samurai and others, they mention that the name Al-Majid really is like an umbrella name for other names of Allah, like Al-Kareem that we're going to talk about. So part of Allah's like glory is that He gives to us. He gives to us when He gets nothing back that benefits Him. He's so glorious, so independent. Do you understand? Al-Majid. And so when we speak about Allah in those terms, that is how we do His Tamjid. That's how we glorify Him. In that way. And there's a, there's a difference between glorifying and praising. Right? There's a slight difference there. Okay. But the name Al-Kareem that we want to speak about today. The name Al-Kareem is, is so beautiful. So beautiful. The name Al-Kareem. Some of the scholars define or, or try to explain what this means. Okay. We could translate it according to one translation. Allah is generous. When you think of generosity, what do you think of? We tend to think of generosity in one sense. Pretty much that's it. What else? What, what, what sense do we think about it? It's not a trick question. Yeah. Forgiveness. Sorry? Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Oh, mashallah. That's, that's not the, the one that comes immediately to my mind. It's, it's true though. Yeah. Yeah, well, we tend to think if someone's generous, you say somebody's generous, the immediate meaning that comes to mind is they give a lot of wealth in charity, or they help other people through their wealth. They're willing to share their wealth. Which is interesting, right? Because you can be generous in other ways. You can be generous in other ways. Like, to me, if you ask me, one of the hardest things to get from people today is not wealth. It's actually not wealth. What's the hardest thing you, you feel to get from somebody? To get them to give you. What's one of the hardest things to get from them? Yeah, Sima. Sorry? Time. Time, man. Someone comes to you and says, donate a hundred bucks. You're like, okay. It's like, give me two hours every week. Mm, I don't know if I can do that. Right? 
It's hard to get time from people. And, and, and sometimes that's what's the most important thing that you could give. That's why the scholars talk about for different people, different forms of generosity are most important. For example, someone who's like, I know we use this term, it's a bit strange, but we say filthy rich, right? Like, like extremely rich. It's probably not that hard for them to give certain amounts of money. To them it's just like, that's just what I carry around in my wallet kind of thing, you know, like, this is extra here. Which for us may be something that's very difficult. And so for that person maybe, their generosity that would carry the most reward might be to give time. Because that's like, there's a hadith which tells us, your reward is in proportion to the difficulty you go through in doing something. Yeah. The harder something is for you, the more reward there is in it for you. And so, for that person to give a thousand dollars might not be hard, but to give one hour of their time is very hard. And maybe that's the type of generosity that's demanded of them. Meanwhile, for someone else, it might be something else. Right? For them to be generous with, their self, with themselves. Right? Because to be generous with their time, to be generous with other things they have. You know, you talked about, Warhan talked about forgiveness. To be willing to give people forgiveness. Different things that we can offer. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when we say Al-Kareem, it means the one who gives everything, not just wealth to people. He provides people with everything. He's generous with everything. He gives more than people deserve. And He gives without asking. How many of you woke up this morning and said, Oh Allah, I ask you for a functioning liver. I, I didn't ask. I don't know what you guys. I didn't do it. May Allah forgive me. And, and so far, it, it, it seems to be functioning. You know what I mean? Like, alhamdulillah. What am I trying to say here? Like, how many things did Allah give us that we never asked for? How many? Can, can you begin to count? Like, like, one is your own health. What about the health of other people in your life? In your, in your life? Because you might think, well, okay, I have good health. But if they don't have good health, then you have to take care of them. And then your health, which you want to use to go snowboarding or to do this or to do that, you can't do it. And you have to stay taking care of them. So the people around you, if they're healthy, that's a blessing. Do we ask for that? Like, Ya Allah, how many things do we have Allah's given to us without asking? He's given to us without asking. And you know what's, what's crazy is that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't give us a little bit, a few things that we ask for, we're upset. Oh Allah, you didn't give me that. Ignoring all the things He gave without us asking. Is that really, is that really fair? Does that really make sense? Another name of Allah Ta'ala is Al-Akram. Iqra' wa rabbuka al-Akram. Al-Akram, this is the superlative. So it's not just Allah is generous, He's like the most generous. With human beings, why is it so hard to be generous? What happens? If we want to be generous, like, okay, everyone, we're just going to give some charity. 
Let's do with money. Just money. Even time. But let's say you want to be generous. What's so hard about it? You have a limited, limited amount, number one. Okay, but we can still give from a limited amount. But why can't we? Or why is it so hard? Because we have needs that need to be met. Okay? If we do end up giving, why do we give? For reward, inshallah. So there's still benefit to us, even by giving reward. Is it possible that we give for a different reason? Maybe a wrong reason. You could give it in the hope of one day they will scratch your back. back. You know what I mean? So I'll give it to you. I'll, I'll help you out today because tomorrow when I need help, I need you to do that. I need you to give me money back. Is that really generous? I mean, it is. You're helping somebody, no doubt. But it's not pure. It's not, it's not altruistic. You're kind of hoping for some benefit in response. With Allah, when He gives, and He gives, and He gives, and He benefits nothing from anything that we can possibly do back. It's true generosity. You understand what I'm saying? You ever had someone give you something that you know they can, you, can never pay, they can never, you can never pay them back for? You ever had a stranger? Like It happens a lot when you're traveling. You know when you're traveling, and you meet a random person who just helps you out, and you know you're never going to see them again, so you know it's pure. How do you feel in your heart? You're just like, man, you are amazing, right? Like, wow. Because you know it cannot be for any other reason. It can only be for? Out of the goodness of their heart. Every day, Allah, when He gives us, it's like that. He gives to us knowing that we can never pay Him back. That we can never benefit Him. He doesn't give it from a place of need or, or any type of personal, you know, motive. As a matter of fact, the actions of Allah never have motives. Because motives are rooted in need and dependency. Allah is independent. That's why Allah in the Quran uses, He couples the name Kareem with Ghani. Inna Rabbaka, or Inna Rabbi Ghaniyun Kareem. Verily, my Lord, He is generous. But he's independent in his generosity. How many people might be generous to show off? May Allah forgive us, right? But sometimes, you know, in the big fundraisers, I'm gonna give fifty thousand dollars. Mashallah, Allah reward the brother. Allah give him sincerity, inshallah, or the sister, right? But it could be that you're trying to show off to tell people you're generous. You could give generosity to have like your plaque on the wall. You know, like a brick with your name on it. There's so many reasons a human could do it other than for altruistic, purely for the sake of Allah reasons. So many other reasons. Yet Allah, when He gives, purely out of His generosity, His karam. Well, the, the word kareem in the Qur'an is used to describe the Qur'an. Allah describes the Qur'an as kareem. Why? What's so generous about the Qur'an? Or noble, there's a meaning of nobility to it, which we'll talk about later. It's noble, but it's also generous. The Qur'an benefits us. It guides our lives. Man, it's so hard to figure out how to live if you don't have guidance, revelation. You know, the scholars mention that, you know, your intellect. The intellect is like the eye. 
It looks around trying to figure th what things are. Revelation serves as the light, which shows you, the eye what things actually are. And that's why, example, philosophers, they are people who don't want the light. They don't want revelation. They want to use their eyes to try to figure everything out in the dark. And that's why they contradict each other. That's why till today you try to sit with them and have a conversation about how should we live. Let's all agree upon a, a common way that we will all live our lives that we all believe is the most ethical. Dude, you'll get like a thousand opinions. A thousand. I'm telling you from sitting in like seminars. That's what it is. Whereas Muslims, it's amazing. Muslims will come together around the world in the millions to pray, example, around the Kaaba. Unified millions to come together and pray. All in the same way. Because we all have eyes. We're all trying to figure things out. But we all use the light of revelation to show us what things actually are. Revelation is a blessing, guys. Wallahi, it's a blessing. If you don't have revelation, you cannot imagine how difficult life is. You cannot imagine how difficult life is. Because, and, and I've given this example before, and I'll give it just again to explain this point. Without revelation, without access to answers of an existential level, it doesn't matter what you have in life, man, you can't be happy. You can't be at peace. I give, I've given this example before. Imagine you're sitting at home, you're just chilling in front of the fireplace, and you fall asleep. And you wake up, and you're flying on Emirates first class. Anyone ever flown Emirates first class? It's okay, you can show off, like it's cool. Yeah? All right. No? And no one here? No one wants to like show off now? They're like, bro, you just, you just called out the $50,000 guy. Like, we're not about to put our hands up. Huh? I'll just assume you did it on points. No? Nobody? Okay, I haven't done it either. So I'm going to act like I have, but I haven't done it. But I've heard stories. You know what I mean? It's one of those things. So like, you can take a shower. You guys heard about that? You can take a shower up in first class, yo. And you got like a bed. And any time, like, you can, food time is any time up in first class. So what do you do? You end up in first class. What do you do? You just get up and take a shower? You get up and go like, I'm going to try the chocolate mousse, yo. No, what do you do? Start asking people, how did I end up here? Right? Like you could eat the chocolate mousse and take a shower and do all that stuff. But there's going to be a nagging question in the back of your mind. How, last time I checked, yo, I swear I was in, in front of my fireplace at home. Like, are you complaining about being in first class? Like, no, I'm not complaining, but... I can't help but ask, how did I end up here? And there's another question you want to ask, which is, where is this plane going? Where are we going? The last time you checked, you didn't exist. And suddenly you end up in this world. Why are you here? Oh, you can have all the luxuries of the world. Right? You could go enjoy all the luxuries, but there's going to be a nagging question, but why am I here? Okay, I'll have the chocolate mousse. Why? What's in, in the big scheme, bigger scheme of things? Why? And then, 
At the end of all of this, what's the point? There's going to be that nagging question. And that's why you find people, even if they're not Muslim, they ask these questions. It really stresses them out. It's hard to be truly happy and at peace when you haven't answered these nagging questions. Who can provide the answers? Who can tell you where you've come from and how you ended up here? The one who sent you. Who can tell you where you're going? The one who controls what happens after death. Human beings just forget about people after death, right? Like, we don't even go to the graveyard. We don't even go. We have this like space outside of the city and we just kind of put people there, six feet under, and that's it. We remember them a day, a week, two weeks, and that's it. And after that, maybe the close family members. Do you know what I'm saying? Yo, if we had an event, visit the graveyard day, how many would come? Like, shit, we're not showing up, man. We are not coming for that. Muhammad come, mashallah, mashallah. A lot of us be like, no, man. What do you want me to do? Like, walk around all the dead people? Like, no. But we are encouraged to do that. To be reminded of where we're going to end up. Imagine you visit the graveyard. Don't you ask the question, what happens when I come here in the future? What's going to happen? Right? And Revelation comes to tell us that. Revelation comes to tell us that. And without Revelation, it's like you're just in the dark, trying to figure things out in life. Trying to figure things out in life. And so the Qur'an is extremely generous. It is of extreme, extreme, the, one of the, the greatest, one of the greatest gifts Allah's given us. Because without it, we had no idea how to live. Society would have no idea how to live. And this is connected to the next idea. Kareem, and, and I really want us to listen to this, this description here. Because this is very personal for all of us. The name Kareem, the root letters Kafra, Mim, also have the meaning of honor, nobility, and dignity. Al-Kareem is the one who has honored others, who has honored human beings. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, in Surah Al-Isra, وَلَقَدْ كَرَّمْنَا بَنِي آدَمْ Indeed, verily, we have honored the children of Adam. What's the natural state of human beings? They're honored by God. They're honored by God. Where does your honor lie? How do we understand this? Where does the honor of a human being lie? Like, what does it take to be honorable and dignified? In Surah Al-Teen, you know what Teen was Zaytun? In that Surah, Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala describes, and it's such a beautiful passage. He says, he takes four oaths. What Teen was Zaytun? Okay? And you could speak a lot about those four oaths and what do they refer to and which prophets or places. And the, the, the scholars talk about that. But I want to speak about why Allah took the oath at all or, or those oaths at all. After taking those oaths, now He comes to the point He wants to make. And He says, Indeed, we've created human beings in the most excellent fashion. And then he says, And then we've returned them to the lowest of the low. And then he makes an exception. 
Except those who believe, who have Iman, and who do good deeds. Okay, stay with me on this point. The scholars, for many, many scholars, interpret this ayah. Indeed, Allah Ta'ala says, Indeed, we've created human beings in the most excellent fashion. Many scholars interpret this to mean external appearance. How you look externally. Now, later scholars, however, and then, because you might say, okay, that ayah says, we've created human beings in the most excellent fashion, and then we return them to the lowest of the low. What's that referring to? If we've created human beings in the most excellent fashion, what does it mean for that human to then be returned to the lowest of the low? So, many of the scholars interpreted that to mean, when you get into older age, you lose all your abilities that you had when you were younger, right? Or at least they decline. And, but, but later scholars you know, d- disagreed with that and said, that doesn't seem to make sense. When you consider what comes after, except those who have iman and who do good deeds. The problem is, even people who have iman, who do good deeds, they still, when they get older, decline in their faculties. So it doesn't seem to make sense. Ibn Kathir disagrees, and you know, Ibn Ashur. So they give a different explanation, and I want us to think about that. They say that when Allah Ta'ala says, indeed we've created human beings in the most excellent fashion, what Allah is saying is that human beings are created with a fitrah, a natural inclination to goodness. That a human being comes into this world, where do they come from? Not like physically speaking. (laughs) Not physically speaking. I mean like in terms of before coming in the dunya, where are, where are souls? Where are they? In the realm of souls. Alamul arwah. Right? What happened when souls were there? The Quran speaks about this, by the way. We all took a covenant with Allah. We, Allah asked us, Am I not your Lord? Every soul, whether they come in the world as Muslims or not Muslims, everybody then, all souls, acknowledged, Absolutely, O oh Allah, you are our Lord. Then Allah gave that soul a body and sent us into this world. We come from a place where we have recognized our Lord. There's, a, there's an inherent goodness and inclination. The fitrah. It's not Islam. To be Muslim, you need to accept and, and, and assent to, and you know, like, have conviction of. It's an inclination. All humans come into the world with this inclination. To the point that some scholars argue, if you leave a human being on an island with no human interaction, because other humans' influence can corrupt, if you were to just leave a human being, they would grow up to believe in one God. They may not know that it's Allah, they may not know that it's the Qur'an and Muhammad they may not know all of that, because you need revelation for a lot of that. But looking at the world, their inclination would be that there can only be one God. And they would grow up to be good, decent human beings. Their compassion would not be corrupted. Their mercy would not be corrupted. See, what happens is when human beings come into the world, everything around it begins to influence that human. Everything. All the sounds and all the sights and all the other humans they come into contact with. Humans are impressionable 
for the, for the first, you know, 10, 12 years, greatly impressionable. And so, a lot of what's happening around them shapes the human being. That's why there's a hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said, every child is born upon the fitrah, and then their parents will turn them into a Christian or a Jew or a fire worshiper. And in one narration, and if the parents are Muslim, the child will grow up to follow Islam and be a Muslim. فَإِنْ كَانَ مُسْلِمَيْنِ فَمُسْلِمٌ That's also an, a proof that this idea of people being born Muslims is not correct. They're born with a fitrah that inclines to Islam. But to be Muslim, you have to accept and be convinced. You know what I mean? To be convinced that Allah is your Lord and Muhammad is the final messenger that deserves to be followed. The Qur'an is Kitabullah. That infant doesn't know that. That infant doesn't know that. How are you going to call them a Muslim in that sense? Anyways, the point I'm trying to make here is Allah created human beings with this goodness. <clears throat> in the most excellent fashion with this ability to recognize God. And that's a huge blessing. The trees don't live the way humans live. Animals don't function the way humans live. Human beings have that ability to recognize their Lord. Now, Allah then goes on to say, we then return human beings if they do not preserve their fitrah. That's why one scholar said, what's your job as a parent? Your job is to preserve the fitrah of your child. That goodness is there. You just want to prevent the world from corrupting that fitrah. You ever seen people get corrupted? You ever seen that? How many of you, when you were younger, saw a really innocent kid come to school? The parents really sheltered them and really took care of them. And, and they were brought to school to see other kids who are not so sheltered and maybe not so... And suddenly that kid is like shocked to see such immorality and lack of civility. You ever seen that? No? You guys don't remember that? Like the innocent kid, the shy, the one who came, didn't know anything about like anything. The, kids, his, the parents were so nice and taught the kid that the world's a beautiful place and everybody's just so, you know, hunky-dory and life is good. And this kid comes and is like, give me your sandwich. You're like, yo, what's going on? Right? Like, just shocked to see that, whoa, there's some pretty rough people in the world. And then the kid's like, oh, I guess I gotta do that to survive here. Right? Like, people get corrupted. It happens a lot with people that come out of Islamic school. And I don't mean to, like, attack people in Islamic school, but it happens, man. In Islamic school, mashallah, you know, like, every day there's adab, respect your teacher, and suddenly you show up, and... It's a whole different vibe in public school, man. And they're like, la hawla, like, like the first few weeks, they're like, astaghfirullah, like, what's wrong with these people, no adab? And then you become you become like everybody else, right? Corruption, the forces corrupt you. So human beings, when they become distant from Allah and their purpose, what ends up happening is, they lower themselves to the lowest of the low, Allah says. This is something to think about, guys. Look at our society today. Look at our society today. Without revelation, without guidance, where are human beings trying to find their purpose? Where are they trying to find honor and dignity? Really, tell me. In what kind of lifestyle? 
What kind of things? You know, Ibn Ashur mentions things like human beings then turn to drugs, and they turn to alcohol, and they turn to, you know, different ways, like lifestyles that ruin everything, that ruin families, that tear apart couples. Do you know what I'm saying? That's like the human being is lower to the lowest of the low. The Qur'an speaks about differentiating human beings from animals. The idea that you live like an animal. You wake up and all you're concerned about is what I'm going to eat today, what am I going to drink, and who am I going to sleep with. That's animalistic. The Qur'an says that's what animals do. يَتَمَتَّعُونَ وَيَأْكُلُونَ كَمَا تَأْكُلُ الْأَنْعَامِ They eat like animals eat. And they just live life like animals. The idea is that the human has been dignified and no the human is noble that there's a noble way of living do we have any idea of how we can even have this conversation nowadays because so much of the the indecency is it's considered empowerment oh but but she makes money off of that so she's empowered subhanallah like 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 that's the lifestyle they live and it's considered dignified merely because they can make some money off of it. I mean, what have we come to as a society? If, if we really believe that to be dignity and honorable, is that what we promote in our schools? Look, how many, how many of you have been told you should become a lawyer or a doctor or an engineer? How many of you? From a young age, you're like groomed to do that, right? Like, everybody's been told, doctor, I know that. I didn't have to ask you guys that one. But like, the other thing, right? There's certain things people are pushed towards. Is anybody pushed towards those things that are, oh, it's empowerment. Yeah, because she chooses to do it. We don't push our kids to do that, do we? Oh, what's she going to be when she grows up? Oh, she's going to be selling pictures. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a career goal. No, we don't, we don't truly believe it's dignified. If we're honest with ourselves deep down, we don't truly believe it. You would not wish that for your daughter. And you know that. But we lie to ourselves as a society. Wallahi. And we say it's dignified and it's honorable because you know it's empowerment. What are we lying? Who are we lying to? Who are we lying to? How many lives are torn apart because of that? How many people struggle to, to, to establish healthy relationships because of that? When you don't have revelation, Allah says, you go down and down. And then to, to pacify your soul, you're going to make these arguments. Wallahi. So Allah says, bring iman. Live a life of obedience to Allah. That's a life of honor. I want to share with you a few stories about this. The Prophet ﷺ was not somebody who... Because Islam comes to honor people. To, to give them dignity. Really, to give them rights. To ensure that they're not abused. That they're not oppressed. And that's why Muslims need to live and, and, and commit to that. That's, that. And that's a whole other conversation. But Because we always talk about it, by the way. Oh, Islam gives people their rights. And so people shouldn't look elsewhere to other ideologies and ways of thinking. Why are we surprised when people turn to these other ways of thinking? When Muslims cannot give them their rights. Sure, Islam gives rights. It's Muslims themselves who hold back those rights. We are the people. 
And then we complain why people turn to ideologies. Oh, I don't know why he thinks like that or she thinks like that. They think like that because you didn't give them their rights. You say Islam gave it, but the Muslims didn't. And the Muslims don't in their messages, in their communities. They don't. And then we're surprised. Like, it really frustrates me when people act all like foolish. Shaykh, I don't know why. Yeah, get your head out of the sand. Get your head out of the sand. And then you'll understand why. Go to your local masjid. See how people are treated. See the rights they're given. Guys, please. And then we engage in gender wars about stuff like this. Please. We're speaking the same language. We all want the same thing. We just haven't identified what the issue is at its core. And so, the point I'm making is Islam honors people. And we as believers are meant to be people who honor others. And make them realize their value. That's what I... The Prophet ﷺ, the most dignified and honorable of human beings. He could have just enjoyed that dignity and that honor. But he was somebody, subhanAllah, who uplifted people. It is prophetic to uplift people. To not say, well, they think differently, so I'm going to put them down. And I'm going to refute them. And that's how I'm going to get back at them and change their minds. Very few people have changed their minds from refutations. Far more have changed their minds by taking their hand, showing them some love and really introducing them and giving them their rights, addressing their concerns, being real about the concerns they have. Seriously. You know, I'll give an example. I think I mentioned it before. When Shaykh was asked, because somebody was trying to like, you know, get the Shaykh to give like a harsh fatwa. Shaykh, what's the ruling of somebody who's not praying? Someone who doesn't pray, what's their ruling about them? The fatwa. And they wanted the shaykh to say, Jahannam or something like that. The shaykh said, the ruling is, you go, you win their heart, you take them by the hand, you take them for salat with you. That's the ruling. Get real about it. Why are people not coming to the masjid? They don't want to? No. How many of them want to? We've shut the doors on them. With our behavior, with our attitudes. Anyways, the Prophet there's a hadith and I've, I love this hadith and I will keep saying this hadith because this is so powerful. It's in the Shama'il as well as others. The Prophet had a friend. His name was Zahir And he lived out in, the, in, the, in like the desert area. But he would come to Medina to sell his goods. And whenever he would come, he would come see the Prophet so one time, the Prophet ﷺ heard that Zahir had come, he went to the marketplace to find Zahir. The hadith mentions he was a dark-skinned person, he was not the most handsome of people. The Prophet ﷺ comes to the marketplace. Look at that, eh? The Imam of the Prophets comes to see you. ﷺ comes to the marketplace, he sneaks up behind the man, subhanAllah, and he grabs him, and he covers his eyes, and he holds him tight. And Zahir is like shocked, like, because he's just doing his thing, and all of a sudden he's like tied up. You ever see little kids when you do that to them? Right? They start squirming like, Who's, who is it? And so they're trying to, he's trying to figure out who it is. And finally the Prophet ﷺ makes an announcement. مَنْ يَشْتَرِي هَذَا الْعَبْدِ Who's going to buy this slave of mine as a joke? Because Zahir is not a slave. Who's going to buy the slave of mine? When Zahir who hears the Prophet's name, he stops squirming. He's like, oh, Prophet of Allah. And he stops squirming. Eventually, 
Zahir, now look at the conversation, it just blows my mind. He tells Zahir, radiallahu anhu, turns to the Prophet and he continues the conversation. He says, oh Prophet of Allah, you really trying to sell me? You won't even get a penny for me. You will find me to be worthless. And the Prophet said, O Zahir, perhaps the people might not see your value, but you should know that in the sight of Allah, you are valuable. You're worth so much. The word he used was, You're expensive. You're full of worth and value. The Prophet honored people. When relatives of his would come visit him, he would put out a shawl for them to show people honor, to make them realize. Let me tell you a story. You know, there's a book called Heart's Turn, and I've mentioned this before. There's a story about a man. He was a, he was a hippie in his early days before becoming righteous and pious. He, he went to Morocco just to like smoke and do drugs, because at that time that was the scene. Do any Moroccans here? Any Moroccans? No? Okay. So yeah, he went to Morocco to do that, to just, to just kick it with some friends. So he's there, and he describes. He says, he's like, I'm, I'm with a guy whose name is Muhammad. He goes, Muhammad's not really pious, but he just has that basic level of religiosity that like everybody has. Like he'll pray Jumu'ah, he'll say Astaghfirullah, SubhanAllah, it's the basic stuff. So he says, I'm just hanging out with Muhammad. And uh, he says, we're sitting there having coffee one day like the, in, the, in the market square. And he says, we're just chilling. And out of nowhere, we see a huge group of people, massive group. They're, they come by and, and they're carrying a dead body. And the body is shrouded. So you can't even see who it is. He says, as the funeral procession passes, everybody stands up. So he said, obviously, like me and Muhammad, we stood up too. Like, okay. Afterwards, when we sat down and they passed by, he says, I told Muhammad, Muhammad, like, that, that, that guy must be famous. Who was that? Muhammad's like, I don't know. I have no idea who that is. I, I don't even know if he's from around here. Like, the, the group of people look like they came from a different city. So he said, so why'd you stand up for? And Muhammad looks at him like, surprised, right? Like, what do you mean? He said, no, 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 like, we stand up for like a judge. We stand up for like honorable, famous people. And Muhammad says, no. In Islam, we honor everybody. We honor everybody. And he said, he said Muhammad told me, if you, as a hippie, if you were to die, we would all bury you and make sure that we shroud you and, and, and give you all your rights when we're, you know, at the time of death. And if you're funeral was passing by, we would all stand up to honor you as well. Our Prophet ﷺ taught us that. You stand up for a person, a funeral procession, even if it's a non-Muslim. Even if it's a non-Muslim. You know, the story of this hippie is funny. He goes on to talk about how Muhammad convinced him of like how Islam is true. What do you guys think? Take a guess. Was it one day he was standing in the masjid and the imam read an ayah and it kind of melted his heart? Or he heard some shaykh say something, he was like, SubhanAllah, no. <laughs> he goes, he goes, one day Muhammad told me, you know what, dude? You're kind of dirty. <laughs> he was like, what? He goes, yeah, you know, like, and the guy, and, 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 and this hippie, like, he's like, no, we're not. I, I, I'm pretty clean, man. I, I have like, new clothes all the time. He said, yeah. I'm just narrating, okay? 
Muhammad tells him, go check your underwear. And he's like, whoa. So he goes and he's like, you're right, man. You're right. And then Muhammad goes, bro, we don't have any of those issues. Water, every single time. The hippie goes, I was struck, like, man, that makes sense. This religion, it like teaches them like everything. And he goes, he goes, I was sitting there going, wow, is this really how I'm going to be brought to Islam? Like, I'm going to discover the truth of Islam through this? You know, like, and he goes, I guess God finds you wherever you are, right? Like, like this is ajib. But honoring people, this is part of our deen, and I'll, and I'll, I'll try to wrap up inshallah. I just want to mention a few things that we could do. Um, this is so many ayat. There's a few ayat where Allah Ta'ala, and, and, and I'll mention one, because this one's so beautiful. Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says in Surah Al-Infitar, Ya ayyuhal insan, O human beings, Ma gharraka bi rabbikal kareem. What has deceived you about your Lord, the most generous? Now, it, that's the translation. But we got to read into the emotions of that. You know, like, there's so much love in this ayah. I want to give you an example, just to illustrate this point. You know when someone does something wrong? There's a few ways you can deal with that. One is to, like, tell them off, right? What's wrong with you? Are you... You start calling them names. Are you this? Are you that? What's wrong with you? Why would you do that? How does the person feel when, when they hear that? They might feel a bit guilty, but they often feel a bit offended too, right? There's a mixture of like guilt, but mixed with being offended. And sometimes you're so offended that you don't even feel guilty anymore. Because it's like, I did them wrong, but now with all the names they called me, they did me wrong, so we're equal. So I don't even feel guilty now. Another way to address that would be like, why? Why would you do that? After everything that we did, why would you do that? You ever seen, and I'll, and I'll try to explain this, you know like in movies? You ever seen that kid who's really rebellious? And keeps disobeying their mother, and keeps breaking their mother's heart, until finally they end up in prison? And then the mother comes to the prison cell? You know that scene? It's like in so many movies, where the, the, the mother will walk in, and come to the prison cell, and that, that melts the sun, you know what I mean? Where the mother just looks at him and says, Why? Why would you do that? Why wouldn't you listen to me? After everything I told I told you not to do that. Oftentimes the mother doesn't get angry. The mother just takes pity and says, Why would you do that? After I tried to tell you, I tried to convince you. You know when I read this ayah? That's the, the previous surah, Allah Ta'ala tells, He asks the question, Where are you going? What does that ayat mean to you when Allah asks you, Where are you going? Where are you going leaving Allah? Have you found something better than Allah to go to? In this ayat, the next surah, Allah then asks this question, O human beings, what's deceived you about your Lord, the most generous? Do you understand? What's deceived you? What, what, who told you otherwise? Why are you so deceived about your Lord? You know, many Muslims need to hear this ayah today. Because they've been taught a lot of wrong things about God. They've been taught a certain understanding of God that, that's very terrifying. It's a God that's used to control and manipulate human beings. That's one of the goals behind these 99 names of Allah. 
is for us to learn about God in such a much more holistic and comprehensive way. Okay, I'll just wrap up with how we can live with these names. Number one, and these are practical like application points here. Number one, every one of us has to make an effort to recognize our worth, recognize where our dignity and honor lies. Allah has honored us. We should not, we should not humiliate, we should not degrade ourselves through sins, through acts where we're just trying to make other people happy. How much of what we do is for the validation of others? You're actually making yourself subservient to someone else's approval and validation. I want you to approve of me. I want you to validate me. Why would you do that? Why don't you... Wouldn't it be more beautiful if you just rose above that? And didn't subjugate yourself to anybody? In the process, we often disobey Allah, isn't it? In order to make other people happy. So we appear a certain way before them. Right? So we'll post certain things so people will validate us. We'll behave a certain way so people will validate us. Wallahi, that's not where the honor of a believer lies. Allah's honored us. May we see honor where Allah has placed honor. May we see dignity where Allah has placed dignity. That's all I can ask. Don't, don't do that. Don't degrade yourself. Don't humiliate yourself by sinning and disobeying Allah in the hopes of gaining the approval and the validation of other human beings. Because even if they approve of you today, tomorrow they'll disapprove. Tomorrow they'll disapprove. You can never make everybody happy. You can never make everybody happy. Recognize the effects of Allah Ta'ala in our lives, His generosity. Notice how He's generous with us. Notice how many blessings He gives without us even asking. And finally, to be generous with other people. Allah is Al-Kareem. Now we all need to be Kareem. Kareem with others. Be generous with other people. With whatever you have. That's the beauty of our deen. You can be generous with whatever you have. Right? It, is, it can be your time. It can be your skills. It can be your help. It can be your wealth. Whatever it is you have to offer others. I'll finish with a quote. It's a really beautiful one. You give but little when you give of your possessions. It is when you give of yourself that you truly give. May Allah Ta'ala grant us the tawfiq to understand who Allah is as Al-Kareem. And may He give us the ability to embody that spirit of generosity and be able to give to others, not because they need it, but because we need to give. May He give us the tawfiq to recognize where our dignity and honor truly lies. Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa barak ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Wa alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa li kullin wujhatun huwa muwalliha fastabiqul khayrat. Aynama takunu yahti bikum allahu jami'a. Inna allaha ala kulli shay'in qadir.